0: Whatever time you may be listening to us, whatever year you may be listening to us, this is Real Ghost Stories Online. I am your host, Tony Brewski. Welcome to episode number two. Yes, we're staying true to the word of we will continue to do this show on a weekly basis, at least as much as I humanly possibly can. Uh, based around my schedule, but I do have a big passion for this, so I, I hope we can certainly uh, stick to this. When I uh, set out to start doing the show uh, online, uh, I, I said, you know, there's a couple interviews I really want to do, um, and uh, I, I, I sent some emails out, uh, got some calls out, and thought, okay, if we can get these, these first couple of interviews lined up. I'm all about this. Let's let's keep doing the show. Let's make this show really happen. And this is the interview that since uh since I saw the film uh about a month ago now, I said, I really, I need to talk to this person. I want to hear their inside story on what really happened. Uh and she emailed me back right away and said, Yep, let's talk. Love to talk to you about this. Her name is Andrea Perrin. She is Uh, The author of a trilogy of books called House of Darkness, House of Light. You probably know her story as The Conjuring, the movie that uh, came out uh, earlier this year. And uh, to rave reviews, it's one of the best horror movies uh, in quite some time. And it really, really is. If you've not seen it yet, do yourself a favor. I know it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD here. It is a great, great film. Uh, tonight, uh, today, when whenever you're listening to this, like I was saying, uh, we are going to be talking with, uh, with Andrea and getting her side of the story. She's the oldest of the children uh, in the real story uh, that was portrayed in this movie. She's one of the people who lived through what the movie The Conjuring was based on, and we are going to talk with her. I'm going to give a little introduction here on her so you can get a... A good background on what uh, the story is and where it's coming from. The, The book House of Darkness, House of Light chronicles the life that she shared with the dead and living alike in a colonial-era farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. She was born in 1958 at the age of 12. Her parents purchased the Arnold Estate, beginning an incredible journey beyond the realm of reality, as most perceive it to be. A collective memoir, it details the encounters experienced by each and every member of her family. Seven more mortals spent a decade exploring the vast expanse of possibilities which exist beyond the five senses, employing the six... For Clarity. Andrea received an interdisciplinary degree in English and philosophy from the Catham College in 1980 and two weeks later left the farm with her family, moving to Georgia in June of that year. She has since owned two businesses, spent nearly a decade as a counselor before abandoning her career to tell this story, to write the book she believes she was destined to write. She lives quietly with her mother in rural Georgia where she continues her work as the final manuscript is poised for publication in October of 2013. She's a human rights advocate, an animal rights activist, and an outspoken member of the world community, which she insists needs to be saved from themselves. You can visit her YouTube channel and website for more information, and we will link to that on our website here at realghoststoriesonline.com. House of Darkness, House of Light is no ordinary ghost story. It's a collective memoir, expansive in scope. It's essentially a cosmic love story, Anyone unprepared for its darkest contents should choose less dense material, according to the author, as the series of books functions as an interactive literature. It's meant to be read and assimilated and absorbed slowly, like a spiritual meditation. It takes a reader on a decade-long journey through the darkness and into the light of higher consciousness. In burning the participating reader with a heightened level of awareness in the process, no one leaves its pages unaltered by the experience, as was the family who had the encounters originally. The parent family purchased their farmhouse in 1970 and spent the next 10 years discovering that good and evil are in a perpetual state of war, and there is something beyond our mortal existence. It poses far more questions than answers and forces the reader to ponder some uncomfortable concepts. Andrea describes the place as a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse. It's a place where time and space stand still and become and become irrelevant to the encounter shared space. It's a window into the past and future alike, a point of empathy for those who are capable of comprehending its contents. Death is not an end and may in fact be only the beginning. The parent family waited more than 30 years to tell their tale of darkness and light. They had to process what occurred And their home and their lives and the world to be ready for what they had to share with its people. As Carolyn, the matriarch of the family, explains, this is not the kind of thing one should rightfully take to the grave. It requires courage and an open mind. But by all accounts, the world is ready for House of Darkness, House of Light And, of course, the film The Conjuring does tell the story in broad sweeping strokes. So let's start right there, Andrea. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. So thrilled. The reason I found out about you was through the movie that came out, The Conjuring. And, of course, the the question that everyone has right off the bat is... Uh, the movie versus the book, which are two very different things. One is told from the perspective of the Warrens, and one is told from you, the perspective of you and your family who actually went through it. But of course, the thing that everyone's going to remember initially is, is very likely the thing that brought their interest was, was the movie itself. So let's just start off by dispelling the differences between what Hollywood put on the screen. And, and what you and your family actually did go through those discrepancies uh, before we get into to more of, of discussing what actually happened in that house and with your family
1: okay uh, first of all I'd like to say that I thought that the movie was absolutely beautiful um, it was it was uh, just a delightful and informative film
2: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: it was a heart-wrenching film. It had uh, so many different elements of our story in it, and yet it didn't tell a single scene from the books. Not exactly. Okay. Uh, and the reason for that is that the um, the reason for that is that the Warrens, Mrs. Warren, provided them with a plethora of information. And I gave them a great deal of information, the producers I'm speaking of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the process of doing that, they had more information than they could possibly work with to put the story together on film. They couldn't compress 10 years' worth of experience, evidence, or investigation into a two-hour film. Mm -hmm. And so what they did instead was they cherry-picked from this batch of evidence information and that batch of information and came up with a third story okay. so there's nothing in the film that actually happened exactly the way you see it in the film Okay. some of the discrepancies are um, first of all they've got Bathsheba uh, Sherman killing her child in 1863 she was already an old woman and beyond childbearing years in mm. 1863 um, There is no evidence anywhere that we could find ever that she was a practicing witch. And the thing that's most disturbing about that is the folks out there, what I call the lunatic fringe, who took this story so seriously because, of course, if it's in a movie, it must be real,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, and uh, decided to go up to Harrisville, Rhode Island and desecrate her tombstone. Wow. So, unfortunately, it's in pieces now. It stood since 1885 when she passed away, mm-hmm. and now it will have to be restored or replaced because someone thought that it would be a good idea to bash it to pieces. Uh, very disturbing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's what I feared. It was my fear sure. that the film would um, have this impact.
0: The, the witch story uh, that, that the movie uh, attached to it, does that originate with the movie, putting that in there for, for the movie purposes, or was that a, an urban legend, uh, for, for lack of a better term, surrounding Bathsheba before the movie came out?
1: Well, I would, I would say that it's more of a rural legend.
0: Rural legend, okay, sure.
1: Um, and it was because... In the early 1800s, when uh, a baby died in Bathsheba Bathsheba's care, Mm -hmm. uh, it was found to have a needle impaled in its skull when the body was examined. And the autopsy that uh, took place said the baby died from convulsions. There's no proof that it was her own child, Uh Uh, and there was an inquest held in Chapachet because at the time, Burleville was not even an incorporated town. And so in the next town over, or beneath it, is uh, Gloucester, Rhode Island, and the town seat is Chapacha, and that's where the inquest was held. There was no evidence to back up the suspicion that she might have claimed to this child's life, and the judge dismissed it. But in the court of public opinion, Mm -hmm. she was tried and convicted and lived a miserable life with this hanging over her head her entire life. When she did marry, she was Bathsheba there, and when she married um, uh, Sherman, she had four children, and three of them died before the age of four years old. You know, Uh. this was a time when infant mortality was through the roof.
0: Sure.
2: And
1: so only one of her children survived to adulthood.
0: So, of course, judgment was probably placed upon her by all those surrounding as the other children she had passed, uh, thinking, well... There's there's more to it than just passing. Although very likely it was just them passing because of the infant mortality rate.
1: Well, part of the reason why I included all of this information to the best of my ability in three volumes Mm -hmm. was as a cautionary tale. That uh, you know, be careful what you say about other people. Be careful what you say. Words can be weapons, Mm -hmm. and they were used on her in life and after life. Mm-hmm. so the reason that I wrote the book was to dispel what I could of rumors that still swirl sure. about this woman, you know, hundreds of years later,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's it's not fair to, you know, would any of us want that? You know, no, know, Would any no. of us want that kind of uh, blight uh, on us, but she really struggled in life and according to the one man that we met when we moved to the farm who was an abutting landowner uh, he knew her when he was a boy and he said that she was a bitter hateful vindictive old woman that she was very cruel to the farm hands at at the farm that she was uh just hateful Mm -hmm. and i have to wonder is her transition into that mindset because of how she was treated you know the word on the street was back in the early eighteen hundreds that she had committed infanticide and sold her soul to the devil for eternal youth and beauty and that baby was the sacrifice Uh, you know it wasn't that far past the time that women by accusation only Mm -hmm. were being murdered in Salem, Massachusetts Sure So this is serious business When an accusation Can cause, cost you your life
0: Yeah you
1: know, So that's why I spend a great deal of time uh, Going through that story um, In all three volumes Okay Not to, not to uh, belabor the point But there is no evidence mm-hmm. That Bathsheba Sherman was a witch Or that she ever killed anyone Okay. The other thing is uh, the way that they set it up in the film, they made it seem as though the Perrin family was just a a bunch of godless heathens and that the devout Warrens came in and swooped in and rescued us.
2: And Mm -hmm.
1: that really isn't the case. Uh, They did their best. They tried their hardest to intervene on our behalf as a family. Mm -hmm. But their presence in the house really stirred things up even more. And the fact of the matter is that we were all born and raised Catholic and all of us were baptized into the church and we went to church regularly as a family and the Catholic Church turned its back on us. It wasn't the other way around. So that's a point that really needs to be clarified. The most thing that I can say on behalf of my family is that my mother would never ever have done anything to hurt any of her children, ever. And the implication in the film is that she was possessed by this demon spirit Mm -hmm. who was convincing her to start killing off her own children. Mm -hmm. That couldn't have been further from the truth. Not possible.
0: What was your your mother's opinion of that portrayal in the movie?
1: My mother hasn't seen this film Oh, she hasn't? And I don't know if she ever will. Okay. I don't want to expose her to... Uh, what is a very, very intense scene, and yet what actually really happened, there was no exorcism in our house.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There was a seance that the Warrens initiated. They brought a priest, they brought a medium, and an entire technical crew with them. Mm-hmm. It did not happen in the cellar. It happened in the living room, the dining room of the house uh, above, the fir- on the first floor. And what happened was actually so intense that they toned it down for the film. Really? Yes.
0: So the the scene where the exorcism takes place, it really was actually portraying the seance that occurred, not an exorcism.
1: Right. Okay. Right. And so the, the whole series of events that led up to it, it was a perfectly calm night. There was no issue. My mother wasn't freaking out. She was actually very quiet and almost despondent. And the reason that she was was because my father was throwing a hissy fit when he found out that the Warrens were coming. And she didn't even know that they were bringing other people with them.
0: So the thought was that it was just going to be the two of them coming to investigate, and then this whole crew shows up, essentially.
1: Yeah, he was not a happy camper.
0: How, how did the Warrens end up staying in the house? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just thinking from a perspective of a homeowner, of a father, uh, you know, and if you call somebody on you, get this whole unexpected crew of people that show up and you're not happy. Did your father try and, and get them out of the house or, or what was the reaction there? What, what, what pursued?
1: Well, it, it, uh, the implication in the film is that the Warrens literally moved in with us. Mm-hmm. First of all, my mother never sought anybody's help with the with the house. She didn't even know who the Warrens were when they showed up at our door uh, just before Halloween in uh, 1973. Okay. So 40 years ago, right about this time is when they came to the house, and she had no idea who they were. Um, a group, a young group of college students, had come to the house and had gotten wind of the predicament. And it was one of them, Keith Johnson, Mm -hmm. who had actually informed the Warrens of the trouble that we were having.
0: So were the Warrens ever actually invited, or was it they just showed up out of curiosity because of what they had heard?
1: uh, No, Keith told them, and they just came to the house. He gave them the address.
0: Oh, wow, okay. They
1: came to the house about six weeks after he and his group um, had, had been up to visit us. And he had such an intense experience in the house that he felt certain that there was a a serious problem there. Mm -hmm. And that's when he decided he went to a seminar that the Warrens were giving at a local university, and he informed them at that time of what our predicament was. But the Warrens only came to our house five or six times total over about a year and a half period. There were many, many things that happened in that house that are chronicled in the books that they didn't even know about, mm-hmm. because the last time we saw them was in the summer of 1974, which is when the seance occurred, and my father flipped out and threw everybody out of the house, and uh, you know, unceremoniously with some overt language used Mm -hmm. and threw everybody out of the house once my mother regained consciousness.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: It was a a very, very bad scene. And I'll tell you uh, personally, I will never, ever engage in a gathering of souls or spirits or a seance or a Ouija board or anything, anything having to do with the dark arts. Mm-hmm. Because the fact of the matter is that night they opened a door that they could not close. Mm-hmm. They opened a door. And it's like I I often say to people, it's akin to living in Brooklyn and throwing <laughs> open the doors to your brownstone and then standing on the street and telling everybody that passes by that your house is open. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same mindset.
0: You're just inviting and trouble.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. It's begging for it. And in the process, it turned into a fiasco, because they could not control what happened. The medium collapsed on the table. Ed Warren, when my mother was tossed literally from one room into the next a good 20 feet away, uh, and I heard her head hit the floor of the parlor, uh, my father leaped out of his chair and went to leave to go to my mother immediately. Ed Warren grabbed him by the arm to try to stop him from intervening on her behalf and my father turned around and punched him squarely in the face and took him to the floor wow it was very ugly
0: i want to hear more about that night but let's 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 build up to that a little bit let's let's talk about some of the events that occurred that led up to that night, and then the the pursuing years, years after that, because obviously the movie kind of portrays it as you lived there for a little while and moved on, which is certainly not the case. No, not um, at all. In, in reality, um, before we move on to the next subject, is there anything else you wanted to dispel about the differences between the movie and reality? Any of the big points that you want to get out there for our audience?
1: Well, I would say that the most important thing is that the film got it right in many respects. And the, in the broad strokes, they really painted a beautiful picture of our family. And what they told was a story of the Parent family enduring an extreme haunting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the, in the end, in the analysis of it, the love that we shared conquered the fear. Sure. And good conquers evil. I think those are the most important messages in the film. And I think that it really is very educational. Keep in mind that this film was originally uh, designed to tell the story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. That's why it starts Mm -hmm. with them, with the Annabelle doll and the nurses in Hartford, Connecticut. And that's a a story, too. That's one of the first major investigations that they conducted. Mm -hmm. And somehow it got... uh, Weaved into our story, but the Annabelle doll had nothing to do with our family at all.
0: Sure, no, not Uh, at all. That
1: was a separate, distinct issue. But it also led into the story uh, about our family, Mm -hmm. So, because ours was the next. And then, remember, at the end of the film they got a call about a house in Amityville.
0: I I, I laughed out loud in the theater when I heard that line. So I'm like, Oh, there we go. And there it is. Uh Yeah. That's where that's, um, I wanted to ask you about this. And this is something I, I already know the answer to. But I know it's it's going to be that it's the most common question you get, I know. Um, but I thought let's throw it out there right at the beginning just so we can get this question answered in our listeners' minds so they can really grasp the rest of your story and the rest of this interview. And, of course, that question is I can even you can ask it for yourself. I'm sure you know what made your family stay in the house for as long as you did after these things started to occur.
1: It is the, the question that I hear most frequently. I actually even asked it on the FAQ page. I uh, oh. answered it on the FAQ sure. page of my website because <laughs> I hear it so much. Sure. But my favorite take on it is, what the hell is wrong with you people that you stayed there for a decade? Yeah,
0: that's not how <laughs> I, I would prefer to ask that question. You know, because there's obviously a lot more to it. You don't want to be accusatory because everyone has a story and everybody has reasons for what they do. Uh, it just, I, I would love to hear, and I actually I have heard your story, story before but for our our audience and our listeners uh, why why is that what would be the reasoning that your family stayed there for so long
1: well my mother found the house in june of 1980 the moment she saw it she knew it was home and it was where our family belonged a few days later my father came back from a business trip and we all got in the car and went up to the farm to see it for the first time all of us had the exact same reaction this is the most beautiful place on earth we want to live here forever and ever it was instantaneous love it was the law of attraction mm-hmm. it was there were so many different elements to it. Uh, and yet, uh, in all the times that we visited um, dear old Mr. Kenyon, who was actually selling the property to my parents, none of us ever had any kind of supernatural encounter on the property, and we were all over it. It was like we knew the place. All mm-hmm. of us knew the place from the moment we got there and didn't want to go back home to Cumberland. Wow. We <laughs> wanted to stay and just move in with yeah. Mr. Kenyon. Um, so it was a very compelling attraction that our family had to this place and i'll i'll follow that up in a moment
0: okay
2: Uh,
1: however when it took about five months to negotiate the sale the surveys the inspections the everything the pulling the money together it was a huge huge investment uh compared to our little cape cod in cumberland Mm -hmm. that had to be sold you know there were so many complications everything fell perfectly into place for us to go to the farm Mm -hmm. and they closed on it at the beginning of december of nineteen seventy we didn't move in until after christmas and that was when we had our first experience the day that we were moving in four of the five of us children had our first uh, supernatural experience in the house but all of us just passed it off as, we must have been seeing things or, you know, whatever that was. Okay, it was chaos. We were moving into a new house in the middle of a snowstorm. There were people everywhere. It was chaos.
0: What was that first experience that you had in that house?
1: Uh, The first experience was seeing a full-body apparition in the dining room who was fixated and watching Mr. Kenyon pass, pass the last of his belongings from the china cabinet that was in that room and i saw him as a full complete body solid body Mm -hmm. uh i walked past him and said good morning and he ignored me and i kept walking
0: so you thought it was just like a friend uh, of the previous owner hanging out
1: (laughs) yes i did and then christine saw him And then Cindy saw him, and then Nancy walked into the kitchen and leaned over to Cindy and said, you know, that man in the front room with Mr. Kenyon, he just disappeared. And that was our first experience there. But, you know, if you are old enough to remember how things were in this country at that time, it was at the height of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. This country was in political turmoil. It was an economic chaos. Mm-hmm. As bad as anything that we were experiencing moving moving into the House, it was that kind of frenetic energy sure. that existed in this country at that time. And unfortunately, uh, the rate of inflation was spiking. The home values were dropping by the month. People were losing their shirts, losing their businesses. The oil cartel was established in the Middle East. The price of oil was hiked up through the roof. And uh, President Nixon declared a um, uh, an embargo on travel. You could only travel for business on airplanes. I mean, there were gas lines. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible time in sure. this country's history and my family had invested every conceivable dime they had access to into this property. Now, if we had put it on the market two months later after moving in the Logical question would be, why are you selling this house as fast as you bought this house? What's wrong with the place?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: My mother called our attorney, Sam Olofsson, who is a close family friend of ours. And after the first major incident occurred in her bedroom, Mm -hmm. Sam, I've made a terrible, terrible mistake. I need to get out of this. But there was nothing that he could do were no disclosure laws on the books at that time. Uh. And even though there had been two people who had brought cases about haunted houses in front of the court, the Superior Court in Rhode Island, both of them were laughed out of court. You know, uh, the, the judge basically saying, you know, I'm not going to rule on something that I can't prove and I can't see. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, was, there was no escape for us we were in and we were in
0: deep yeah i mean as a parent you're almost you're you're thinking well here's the option we deal with what's going on in this house it's shelter it's 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 warmth or we can be homeless and that sets just kind of sounds like the situation your parents were in and they were trying to do what was best for the family sure They, they would have lost everything yeah So,
1: and aside from that, you know, what what convolutes it even more is that my father didn't believe what he was being reported to him. He was on the road. He had his own jewelry business. It was Mm -hmm. a trunk business, and he had clients from Ohio to upper New York State, all the way to Florida, the whole eastern third of the United States. Mm -hmm. He had clients everywhere. So he would come home, he'd go into Providence, do business with all of his jewelry guys, load the car up, to the max and hit the road again and that's how he was keeping that roof over our heads meanwhile my mother and the five girls are home having one experience after another after another mm-hmm. and when dad comes home exhausted from the last road trip yeah. the last thing that he wants to hear is we have ghosts i got beaten <laughs> up in the warm room a scythe came down in the barn and tried to slice my neck it ruined your jacket uh you know on and on and on i hear voices in my room telling me there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. Can you imagine his reaction to all of that? Yeah. <laughs> not only was he not there to you know, protect and defend us against all enemies, foreign and domestic, there were no keys to that house. Wow. That house was left wide open all the time. There were no locks on the doors. Wow. None of the keys that were turned over at the closing worked on any of the doors. So he had that weighing on his mind. Then he comes home, and his wife is reporting her incidents, and his children are reporting their incidents. And what does he feel but helpless and completely out of control? And his reaction to that, to dismiss it, or if it got brought up too much to get angry about it, which shut everyone down. Mm
0: -hmm. What was the point at which your father finally did accept that there was something going on uh, in that house?
1: When he had no choice anymore, when he had absolutely no choice anymore, when he woke up and his back had been serrated bloody.
0: Oh, wow. So at that point, he realized that all the stories that he had been told were in fact true because one of them had finally happened to him.
1: Yes. And the thing is that that night that that occurred, he was laying right in bed beside my mother as she was under attack. And he she was sure he was dead and that she was next because she did everything in her power she grabbed he had a big thick hair, head full of hair and she sunk her hands in his hair and twisted and pulled and did everything that she could to wake him up and he was for all intents and purposes dead and she felt certain that she was going to go next wow so he was not able to protect her even in their own bed
0: as, as events like that occurred a, a, after you had gone into the house, after it took some time, obviously, for your father to understand what was actually happening, what, at what point was it where the Warrens did become involved? How far into your, your stay at the home did, did that involvement begin, where they first stepped uh, through the doors of the home?
1: Uh, it was just before uh, Halloween in October of 1973.
0: Okay, so how many years in had you been there at that point?
1: We'd been there uh, two and a half, more than two and a half years, close to three years.
0: And I'm assuming at this point that that, the event that you just described with your father had already occurred? Yes. Okay.
1: But he was still denying it. He didn't want to discuss it with the Warrens. He thought that they were charlatans. He thought that they were, you know, thrill-seekers themselves. Sure. He didn't have any faith... In what they brought to the table mm-hmm. and he thought that it would just make things worse which it did because yeah. when that kind of energy comes into a house you know the psychic energy and the you know ed was the only demonologist that was certified by the catholic church that was not a priest
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know he had a, a long history and had done uh, a great deal of work over the years and it was uh... horrifying to my father that This was, you know, walking it, this kind of energy in the guise of two people were were walking into our house, and he was afraid of them too. But his reaction to them was uh, aggressive. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, polite at first, polite enough, but uh, never trusted. And uh, he has since made amends with Mrs. Warren. uh, When we were together out in California, Uh, he had a conversation with her and. Uh, I'm so glad that that's been settled because the last time she saw him, he was a raving lunatic. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was a very, very bad night. But the thing is that there were so many things that happened in the house that when the Warrens came, I can speak for myself, that I felt relieved because here was someone that we could share our story with who told us that they believed us, who Mm -hmm. told us that they were somewhat of an authority on the subject of what was happening in the house and that it would be um, safe to disclose. But April didn't want to tell them anything. I think she was afraid that they were going to make her little friend go away. She had a spirit that she had gotten very close with, a little boy who would come out of the eaves and go into the chimney closet, which was Uh, set up like a playroom Mm -hmm. upstairs. It was the only really warm space in the house because the chimney came right up through the middle of the closet Mm -hmm. and he would spend inordinate amounts of time with April when she was just a little itty-bitty. She was only five years old when we moved to the house and she wouldn't tell the Warrens anything about that little boy.
0: When when the Warrens did come to the house for the first time, you said it, it stirred things up and it, it made things worse in the house. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like what, what changed from what was already going on, which sounded fairly extreme, uh, to, to what, what made it more extreme?
1: Well, let me start with this. Uh, when Mrs. Warren walked into the house, she walked over to the black stove. She knew nothing about the history of the house. She knew nothing of our family And she walked over to the stove, put her hand down on the corner of it, put her other hand over her eyes on her forehead, and said, I sense a malignant presence in this house. Her name is Bathsheba. So from that moment on, because it was so striking that she would even know the name of somebody that had lived in that house, Mm -hmm. that Bathsheba kind of got the rap. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) From that point on, which is why when she turned over her case files to New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers, that's why they built the story around Bathsheba, because that was the presence that she sensed. However, the spirit that was uh, repeatedly attacking my mother was most likely not Bathsheba Sherman. Uh, The spirit that came to my mother, to my sister Christine, to my sister Cindy, and the one that I saw had a broken neck, clearly broken. Her head looked like a desiccated hornet's nest with like leafy, flimsy skin hanging off it, covered in cobwebs and vermin, sprigs of hair, vacant hollow eyes, very, very thin lips, and chipped yellow teeth that looked like
2: fangs.
0: So almost like the the horrible images you see portrayed in a movie that you go, oh, they're really embellishing that, but you're saying that that... that entity was fairly accurate or, or not not quite even scary enough
1: not quite even scary enough wow yes and i'll tell you what she absolutely had a broken neck and there were three women that lived and died in that pro- on that property by their own hands by hanging three of them, Mrs. Arnold in the barn, mm-hmm. Susan Arnold in the morning room, and there was one more, I can't, her name's escaping me at the moment, um, that uh, hanged herself with a skein of yarn
0: is in there, the house. Is there any suspicion as to, to which one it may have been, or is that essentially the, the only evidence you have of the, uh, the hangings and someone who would have had a broken neck on the property?
1: Uh, we don 't know exactly, and that's part of the mystery of it, yeah we 'll never know, you know, not certainly not in this life, sure, but there were the the most important thing, getting back to your original question mm-hmm. about why we stayed yeah i you know thirty forty years later, I look back on this now, and I listen to my intuition. it has never ever steered me wrong. And I look back on our time there and I see now that everything that conspired in the universe to bring us to that house likewise conspired to keep us there for as long as it took for us to see what we saw and hear what we heard and know what we know now. And I really do believe that it was our job to take that all in and to eventually share this story with the world. It's that
0: important. Andrea, I want to talk about what happened the night of the seance, or as it was portrayed in the movie The Conjuring, the night uh, of the exorcism. Uh, I want to hear exactly what really happened, because I've heard some various stories, but all of them coming back uh, basically to the same point of reality sometimes is scarier than what was actually portrayed in that movie. We will do that in the second portion of this interview, in our second clip. So if you're on YouTube watching this and listening to this, find part two of our interview to hear that part of the story. From Real Ghost Stories Online, I'm Tony Bruschi.